Hi, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to Season 6 of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. The audiobook for this season was voted on by our Patreon community at patreon.com slash Terry, where for as little as $3 a month, you can get free ebooks and audiobooks, and all the money that we raise is being donated to Liberty in North Korea and their Underground Railroad for Refugees. This season of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast is being sponsored by my newest thriller, Save Me Once, which is the story of a mother trying to bring home her lost little girl. And today, our Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook that we're listening to is Frost Heaves, an Alaskan refuge Christian suspense novel by me, Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Dowdy. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 4 For all of its rocky start, Jade's testimony picked up until she almost forgot that she was the one speaking. Explaining her history, it felt more like she was one of the dozens of church members sitting in the rows of chairs, listening to her talk about the way God had worked in her life. She sensed the general interest in the room, and when she talked about the church she grew up in while she was still living in Palmer, Alaska— She saw her audience leaning in as if refusing to miss a single word. She painted them a picture with her words, a picture of the extreme control the leadership at Morning Glory International held over her family, over their congregation. At one point, her eyes landed on Ben, the trooper sitting in the back row, and she saw the same interest and curiosity in his expression as she felt from the rest of the church. Her hands clammed up for an instant, making it hard to hold on to the microphone. She pried her eyes away from his and avoided looking at that section of the sanctuary for the rest of her speech. The funny thing about it, she explained, is that we would have never used a word like cult to describe ourselves, even though it sounds pretty obvious to other people that what we were involved with was definitely not a healthy Christian church. We didn't know that. We were all taught, not just the kids, but our parents too, that it was a grave sin to disrespect our leaders or question their authority in any way. Since we all upheld and respected the Bible, we believed that it would be wrong to go against anything our pastor said. At least once a month, the preacher would talk about how Miriam badmouthed Moses and was struck with leprosy. The moral was always that we should never question God's leaders. I asked my five-year-old about it a few weeks ago, and that particular part of Scripture hasn't even come up in her Sunday school lessons. She's never even heard of it. But it was more common at our church than Noah's Ark or Easter Sunday or any of the other Bible stories. It wasn't just Sundays, either. We had meetings just about every night of the week, and if you missed something, you needed to have a really good reason— or the elders would start to question if you were backslidden. You couldn't miss a service if you were sick, either. You were supposed to come even if you were throwing up a lung and have the elders pray for you and anoint you with oil right there in front of everybody. And if you didn't recover by the end of the service, that was another time where people would question if you were backslidden. My mom pushed vitamins on all of us like we'd die without them, because she knew people would question her spiritual health if her family ever caught a cold. Jade's hands were still sweaty, but that wasn't because she was staring at the trooper anymore. It was because she knew what part of the story was coming up. 
She swallowed once, trying to recapture the sense of calm she'd had just a moment earlier. Unfortunately, she knew that this part of her testimony wouldn't be nearly so easy to get through. The biggest problem was that there was no accountability for the elders or the head pastor. If they did something wrong, nobody would dare call them out on it. There was abuse of all kinds. If it's a kind of abuse you can imagine, it was probably happening at Morning Glory, and most of the leaders knew about it. Some of them were honest and God-fearing, but some were the actual perpetrators. Due to this whole idea that you can't question what your leaders do, lots of people got hurt, including children. She winced, hating to even say the words, hating to remember what she went through. She was staring at her hands now, wondering if anyone else could see them tremble. She glanced up once and caught Aisha's eye, gleaning an extra dose of strength. If she told her story, even the humiliating and painful parts, maybe she'd help someone else in the future, someone going through the same thing. The pastor of Morning Glory took an interest in me, and I got pregnant when I was seventeen. I've since then learned that I wasn't the only underaged girl who found herself in that situation, but the others were encouraged to go have abortions. I refused. I knew what had happened to me was wrong, but the idea of an abortion terrified me. So I told my parents. She swallowed down the lump in her throat. A few members of the congregation were looking at her with so much sympathy it was like they were trying to squeeze the tears straight out of her body. One woman toward the front was silently weeping. Jade felt bad for making everyone else depressed. Weren't testimonies supposed to be uplifting? She forced a smile. Thankfully, my parents believed me and took action. We left the church, which is a whole long and complicated story in and of itself. Jade took in a deep, choppy breath. She wanted to tell them everything. She'd never skipped over this part of her testimony before, but tonight she couldn't get the words out, couldn't tell them what it really cost her family when they filed charges against the Morning Glory leadership. She raised her head and glanced at the clock. Mercifully, her time was almost over. I won't get into all the details, but the short version is I ended up delivering my healthy daughter, Desiree, right before I started my senior year of high school. I later grew to realize that all believers have access to the same God. We don't need a pastor or an elder telling us when we have to go to church or how we should raise our kids or what we should do with our futures. We can all talk to God on our own. And that's not to discount how important it is to have a church family and to have mentors who can give you wisdom and support, even though I'll be the first to admit I still really struggle when it comes to issues of authority after everything we went through. She glanced once at Ben, who was studying her attentively. I'm just really thankful that my parents had the courage to stand up to the leadership like they did, because I have other friends whose parents were too afraid to do or say anything. Jade's mouth turned dry, and her words caught somewhere in the back of her throat. A picture of her dad, smiling and serene, flitted uninvited into her mind. She blinked, forcing herself to stay composed. I guess that's what I want to end with tonight. A reminder that we're all children of God, 
whether or not we're a pastor or an elder or have any kind of fancy title, and we all are given the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. She gave the audience a brief nod and turned off the microphone. She wasn't sure if one of the elders was going to close the meeting right away or if they would take a little time for prayer requests before everyone left, but she didn't care. Walking down the side aisle to keep from distracting anyone, Jade hurried out of the sanctuary. She turned on her car's auto start as she made her way downstairs. If she was lucky, she could grab Des and have the car warmed up before the congregation was dismissed. The last thing she felt like doing was making chit-chat with three dozen people who wanted to talk to her about her life's deepest pain. Breathless and impatient, she swung open the door of the church nursery, hoping that Des might have forgotten the promise of ice cream and instead would settle on some hot chocolate back home. How'd it go upstairs? Mrs. Spencer asked, glancing up from the book she was reading to her twin grandchildren in the rocking chair. Fine, thanks so much for being down here. My pleasure. Jade glanced around the room. Is Des ready to go? Mrs. Spencer blinked at her. I'm sorry? I've got the car running, Jade explained as she picked up her daughter's jacket from the nursery coat rack. Is Des ready? I thought she went upstairs with you. She told me she was going to ask if that was okay. Mrs. Spencer stood up, setting her girls down on the ground. No, Jade answered. She came up to ask if she could stay, but I sent her back down here. She mentally rehearsed everybody she'd seen in that sanctuary. It was a larger crowd than she'd expected, but certainly not big enough that she would have missed seeing her own child. The dry lump returned to her throat, and her heart started pounding high in her chest. Where was her daughter? Chapter 5 Jade's voice was hoarse, not from giving her testimony, but from shouting into every bathroom stall, storage closet, and hiding place in Glen Allen Bible Church. Initially, she ignored the terrified feeling in the base of her gut. Des was just throwing a silent fit somewhere to protest being sent downstairs with old Mrs. Spencer and the babies. Either that or she was playing an elaborate game of hide-and-seek. It was what Jade had to believe, and instead of focusing on her fears, she rehearsed all the ways she'd lecture her daughter. Jade had just finished checking the men's room when Aisha trudged up the stairs, shaking her head. I checked the nursery rooms and the cleaning closet downstairs. Do you think she went out to the car? I looked there already. Jade glanced around. She didn't want Aisha to see the fear in her eyes. There had to be somewhere they hadn't searched yet. A five-year-old didn't just disappear, especially not on one of the darkest nights of the year. It wasn't even Dez's bedtime, but the sky had been black as midnight for hours already. Mrs. Spencer hurried toward them. I just went over everything with Jerry, since he's the go-to guy on maintenance here, she said. Neither of us could think of any other places in the church that haven't been checked. Aisha stared at the exit. People are starting to leave. If we're going to ask for help, we better do it before they're all gone. At first, Jade had been content searching the church with Aisha and Mrs. Spencer, 
but if not even the maintenance man could find her daughter, it might be time to recruit more volunteers. She gave a resigned nod, and Aisha scurried to the doorway. Mrs. Spencer reached out her hand and rubbed Jade's back. Are you all right, dear? Jade nodded. Des was bright, precocious, and far too intelligent for her own good, with enough common sense to stay indoors when it was negative twenty degrees and pitch black outside. She also knew how to get on Jade's nerves. I'm sure she's just hiding out or something. Even as she said the words, she sensed how uncertain they sounded. She tried to force more confidence into her voice. She does stuff like this all the time. I'll go check downstairs again, Mrs. Spencer finally announced. Jade imagined the possible ways she'd punish her daughter once they finally found her. Did Des have any idea how many people she had worried? Aisha hurried up with Ben behind her. Of course, she would have turned first to Mr. Trooper. This time, however, Jade couldn't afford to be haughty. I hear your daughter's missing. Jade forced herself to meet his gaze. Yeah, I'm sure it's nothing. She likes to be dramatic. But it's so cold outside. She let her voice trail off. How long has it been since anyone saw her? Jade wanted to laugh off his question, but she couldn't. She came upstairs right before the service started. She wanted to sit with me, and I sent her back downstairs. So the nursery worker thought she was up here, and I assumed she was down there. Jade wanted to kick herself. What kind of a mother would take a full hour to realize her daughter was missing? If Des was outside, she could already be suffering from hypothermia. Aisha offered her a sympathetic side hug. Ben, however, was far more formal. You've searched everywhere in the church. You're convinced she's not in here? Jade shrugged. We had three of us looking, and then we got the maintenance man to help. So as far as I know, we've checked everywhere. Aisha kept her arm around Jade's waist, and Jade felt like her tiny friend was the one supporting her. They both looked at Ben, who pulled out a small radio. It's cold enough outside and dark enough that I don't want to mess around. I'm going to call this in. He turned to Aisha. Why don't you run outside and ask anyone who's able to stay to stick around? We're going to need all the manpower we can get. Jade couldn't stand the thought of standing by like some helpless damsel. I'll go with you. Ben shook his head. No, you stay. I need you here to pass information on to dispatch. Then you're going to tell me everything you know about that letter. Thanks again for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. You've been listening to Frost Heaves by me, Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Dowdy. Today's episode is sponsored by my newest Christian thriller, Save Me Once, about a mother's courageous attempts to do everything in her power to rescue her daughter from a life on the streets. Again, that is Save Me Once by Alana Terry. And I hope you join us again soon for our next installment of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast.